we're in a series called Resilient Church, and we're talking about how the gospel inspires us to be resilient in life, no matter what comes our way, highs or lows, trials or easy seasons, to always uh, be looking to, to God and, and able to persevere with joy through those, those trials and through those seasons. Um, this series is centered in the book of 2 Corinthians, and in this book, uh, the writer, the author, Paul, has gone to several lengths to, um, for a couple types of ends. The first is he needs to defend himself. He needs to defend his own ministry because there's opponents who've come in and they're trying to stir up kind of some opposition towards Paul. And so he needs to defend himself, but also defend his ministry. And we'll see how those two are, are kind of tied. Um, and so that's one important thing he's been doing in this book. Another really important thing that he has been after in this book is, is shining a light on the beauty of the gospel and sharing and highlighting how the joy and the peace and the love that we have uh, from being forgiven by Jesus uh, through his death on the cross just gives us that resilience in life. Um, so Paul, he's where we're coming in today, he has really... Uh, just discussed how believers are to be ambassadors to the world around them for God's message of reconciliation, that is the gospel. Uh, and so this week's message is really launching off of, of last week. So if, if you are curious about that, go back and watch Rob's message, but it's about how we have been given this ministry of reconciliation because we've been reconciled ourselves, and now we serve as ambassadors for our king. Um, now we see ourselves as those who get to work alongside God in his ministry of reconciliation, which is so, so cool. So um, if you want to hear more about that, jump back to last week's message and, and listen to that at some point, um, because that's our jumping off point today. Um, so let's dive in. It's 2 Corinthians, starting in verse 1 uh, for context. And Remember, again, Paul has just urged them that they're ambassadors for Christ, uh, that they stand uh, up for Jesus as his representative with this ministry of reconciliation in which God makes an, an appeal to, to the whole world. And so it says this in verse 1, Working together with him, then, we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, In a favorable time I listen to you, in a day of salvation, I helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. We put no obstacle in anyone's way, so that no fault may be found with our ministry. But as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way. Um, so what is Paul talking about here? Well, here he's really emphasizing the importance of, of urgent work. Um, he's emphasizing that. Living our lives with a sense of drive and with a sense of, of haste with respect to, to gospel work. The reason is that right now, Jesus is working. Uh, he is working right now. He's still building his kingdom on this earth. And so I love looking at that, just those, those first couple words in this passage, because there's so much grace filled in that short phrase, working together with him. Um, your Bible might say co-laboring or something like that, but it's such a beautiful idea that if you're a believer, you get invited into the work of God. Uh, you get to be involved with that, invited into that. That is so, so cool that God would desire us to work with him. It's unbelievable. And, and I just even want to, want to press pause and just talk about this for a minute because there is nothing more precious in the world than being reconciled to God. Amen? There's nothing more important than that, nothing more life-giving that, than that, nothing more joyous than knowing that you have been reconciled, made, made in right relationship with God. Um, and so, uh, it's just an amazing feeling to, to know your God, and, and to know your Savior, and to know that He's good, to know that He loves you, and to know that, you know, even on your worst days, you know that your Savior loves you. Your God loves you. And so I want us to all be encouraged by, by that. Um, because, man, 
knowing that you're saved, man, that's something that's that's easily easy to say, right? We can recite that. Jesus loves me. This I know. Um, we can repeat. Uh, maybe you've memorized John three sixteen. But it's a whole nother thing for that message to make its way from here to here and to know it deeply in our heart. Um, to just look at that reality in the face and to remember who you are apart from God and how God still loves you. That God really, really loves you. That Jesus loves you so much that he died for you. Uh, that it should have been us on the cross paying for the price for our sins, but Jesus paid the price for our mistakes in our place that we might be reconciled to God. Um, that is That is amazing to be reconciled to the God of the universe, to this infinite being who created you and knew you um, before you were born, to be reconciled to the God who, who designed you and loves you and made a purpose for you in this life. You can know him and be loved by him. That is an amazing thing. And so we're starting with that precious jewel this morning. Uh, and And really the only thing that comes close to to having that for yourself is to be able to share it with others, right? Um, and having them experience it too. And, and so that's the invitation at the beginning of this chapter, that you can work together with God in this, this beautiful work of, of God reconciling the world to himself. And so just a, a couple questions to reflect on. Um, if you've come to faith in Jesus, do you believe that you are forgiven in Christ? Like, do you really trust that and know that and lean on that? It's not a doubt. Um, do you trust that he loves you? Uh, that you're totally and completely reconciled to Jesus in your relationship? Um, I know that if we know that, if we really, really uh, know that in our hearts deep down, it gives us purpose, it gives us drive, it gives us urgency in our life. But if on the other hand, we're just uh, sort of kind of know that, uh, kind of believe that, it, it doesn't really sink in deep, then no, we won't live with like that sense of urgency, right? Um, but if we're really fueled <coughs> by the reality of our reconciliation to God and the love of Jesus, and we're fueled by that each and every day, then man, that gives us so much purpose and drive uh, to go out there in the world, okay? Um, so Paul says uh, to them, don't receive this grace in vain. Instead, you know, we want you to, to embody this, this message of re reconciliation and, and be an ambassador. And so Paul says, today is a day of salvation. Do you believe that? Uh, do you believe that today might be the day of salvation for someone that you know? It could. I know that I personally have often struggled with this idea itself. I've subconsciously, uh, without my knowing necessarily, but subconsciously come to doubt and at times that, you know, today might be the day of salvation for someone in my life, that God had the power to work the miracle of faith in uh, a particular moment. It shouldn't be that way. Um, we should live with a sense of expectancy and, and dependence on, on God's power. And so Paul says, today's the day of salvation. Uh, just remembering that God can work. Okay, um, so back to Paul here. Paul has this sense of urgency. Um, and his sense of urgency comes through when he just talks about desiring to remove all obstacles. Have you ever been in a rush and needed to get all obstacles that were standing in your way out of your way um, as quick as as quick as you can? I know that I do this sometimes, unfortunately, with my my kids. And we've if we've got to go somewhere quickly, then I can't wait for them to get ready for that, right? Uh, I can't say, okay, we got to get in the car in five minutes. I'll be waiting five hours, right? And my kids are toddlers mostly. <laughs> but, um, you know, I need to get their shoes ready. I need to get their clothes ready. I need to get all these things ready, remove all obstacles so that, that we can be ready to go. And, and that's what Paul's trying to do. He wants to get all these obstacles out of the way so that no one might be delayed in being able to come to the Lord. And being able to, um, maybe because they have some criticism of Paul's ministry, maybe because they are stumbling over something that Paul's done or in his life or whatever, he doesn't want any of that. No obstacles. So that whenever he um, preaches or whatever he does anything, man, there's, there's nothing standing in the way from people coming to know 
to know God. And so he's trying to remove all possible obstacles. Paul's living in such a way that that all those are are removed. And, And so that's kind of the first point in my outline today, is that working with Jesus means that that we have some urgency, that we have a drivenness. Um, Jesus himself was not kind of like idle and and passive in his work in bringing the gospel to this world. Um, He actively preached the good news while on earth and and traveled around. And and the thing is, today, today, Jesus' mission continues. And I want us to feel that and remember that and, and, and try to experience that in our life. Um, so what Paul's going to do is, is he's going to list the ways in which he commends his ministry so as to, to remove obstacles and the way he, in which he even commends himself as a, as a minister of God and, um, and what it means to, for him to, to do that. Okay. Um, now what he does is, and he puts out really a, a really good example for us. Um, of what it means to work together with Jesus, as we've you know talked about from verse one. Now we're not Paul. You know, all, some of the things he lists are things that we, we won't experience, and we'll get into that. And so, not all of this is um, prescriptive in that way, but it does serve as a great example. And so, we're going to go through this list. He's going to. Uh, I'm going to bunch it into three categories for us to just kind of clump together. And um, and the first category is is really coming out of that that first category of of urgency and this first category category is about enduring through through trials through sufferings and so listen to this picking up uh, again in verse 3 it says we put no obstacles in anyone's way so that no fault may be found with our ministry but as servants of God we commend ourselves in every way by great endurance in afflictions hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, hunger, and and we'll stop right there. Um, Endurance through suffering, am I right? Um, Paul endures a lot in his ministry. He goes through a lot of things. Um, And a lot of those things wouldn't even be on our radar, right? I, I don't fear being imprisoned uh, for being for preaching the gospel, right? That's not something I, I have to fear, but Paul did, right? Paul dealt with that uh, several times. And so um, that was very real for Paul. But I've always found Paul's drivenness through suffering and his endurance to be such a strong defense of the gospel, or you could say such a strong apologetic, um, a really strong defense, because it's one thing to, to believe in something, right? Like, um, just to, to believe it, and, but it doesn't really affect your life. But it's a totally other thing to believe something and be willing to pay the ultimate cost for that thing. Um, the disciples, the early disciples, all lived with this deep belief such that for many of them, it caused them to give really the ultimate sacrifice, their very life, in in exchange for believing that. And I find that to be such a strong apologetic, um, because it shows me, man, they're not just making it up, right? Uh, no one just gives their life for something that they know could be a lie. Um, but if you truly believe something, if it was worth it to die for it, um, man, then that really gives a lot of strength to that argument. It's a very strong apologetic. So his endurance, Paul's endurance like this, it reinforces the truth and the validity of what he's saying. Because Paul could have bowed out when the going got tough, right? And imagine if he did. Imagine if Paul just bowed out. Like, how horrible would that be for the church um, to, to know that this early disciple just bowed out for it? Like, that, that it wouldn't even, I don't even know how that would work. But um, he didn't, right? He didn't. And that shows us that he was living for something worth dying for, which is, which is amazing. It's a strong defense. So what would it look like to adopt that sort of mentality, even in our context, to be able to endure these sorts of hardships and, um, and things that, that Paul does? Um, because the urgency of Paul is, is very obvious. It's very apparent. He doesn't run away 
from opportunities to share the gospel when the trial comes. But I fear that um, often for us, we do. Um, we do delay gospel conversations very easily. I know even in my own life, um, whether it's not really a trial coming my way, but maybe just I just don't feel like it's socially normative right now to discuss the gospel. I don't feel um, you know, very comfortable right now or whatever. That <laughs> That's not um, really any trial by any means, but why, why delay, right? Uh, why, why procrastinate on the work of the ambassadorship that we've been given? Um, that we were describing earlier for that. So do you have someone in your life right now who you're, you're currently trying to share the gospel with? Um, and, and if not, a good first step would be start praying for a person or, or a couple people in your life who, who, who need to hear the gospel and to begin praying for them uh, regularly. And that, that, that will help us. Uh, that will help you grow in that. Um, Another important thing to remember is that our sense of urgency or lack thereof also impacts the message itself. Um, I think we can underestimate the close connection there is between the the messenger and the message. Now, there's a close connection there. Um, as much as we want to, you know, maybe distance ourselves from the amazingness of Jesus, we have to recognize that. We are the body of Christ. Uh, the church is the body of Christ and meant to be Jesus' hands and feet in this world. And, and so an ambassador, he doesn't just uh, parrot a message, right? Uh, they don't just parrot the message of, of their home country, but they are actually representatives, right? If someone is going to be a, an ambassador, then, then she has to be able to uh, embody and represent the person or entity that uh, she's an ambassador for. And so it's, it's kind of the same with us. If we want to embody uh, this message, then we have to embody some of the urgency of it as well. Jesus worked um, with a passion that also endured suffering. In fact, he gives us the ultimate example of that. And so there's a sense in which if we don't really persevere through hardship or we get easily hung up, there's a sense in which the gospel message is also obscured. Like, it seems like, oh, maybe that thing is that John likes to talk about isn't that important, <laughs> you know, uh, if, if, if I'm easily hung up. And because who wants to hear a message that someone doesn't believe their life isn't worth staking on? Um, who wants to believe in something that, you know, the messenger only seems to half-heartedly believe in anyway? And so I think we, it's a good thing to reflect on it, is the messenger and the message and the relationship between those, um, and, and to desire to embody uh, the urgency of the message. Um, let's, let's move on. Um, so the first list is really describing the zeal, the urgency, the drive um, of what should be, I think, normal evangelism and missional living. And then this next list that we're going to get into describes really the manner and the characteristics that Paul's ministry takes on. Um, and remember, he's taking them on so as to remove all obstacles of someone being able to, to, to find a fault in his ministry or, or to poke a hole in it. And so listen to this, in, starting in verse 6. <coughs> it says, By purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, the Holy Spirit, genuine love, by truthful speech, and the power of God with the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left through honor and dishonor, through slander and through praise. Okay, so we'll, we'll go through this list a bit, but um, my main idea here is that when we want to work together with Jesus in this mission, we need to embody also the character of Jesus. And so he starts by... Um, saying purity. Um, he says his ministry is built on this idea of, of purity. I mean, it's, it's not corrupt. Um, it's, it's, it's a genuine ministry. He's, he's not, um, he couldn't be found at fault, like within this, like it's an open and honest, like thing that he's doing. There's nothing underhanded about it. And 
<clears throat> for Paul, his life is, is going to be matching his message. So that, that's kind of the idea of purity. Knowledge refers to the fact that Paul's ministry, it's based on this idea of truth, and, and he can defend that truth from the scriptures. Uh, Paul has opponents that, have, um, that are around and whatnot, and um, he wants to argue that, man, they have knowledge, but it's not true knowledge. It's not truth. Um, this is, my ministry is built on, on this concept of, of knowledge. And he says, patience. Um, Paul's patient with people. Are we patient with people? Um, or do we just bulldoze over them, right? Or if we feel like um, someone isn't close to accepting the gospel, then, then we just give up, right? And, and not be patient. Um, both those would be terrible, terrible ways of, of, of living. Um, but He's encouraging this, this concept of, of patience. The next one is kindness. Are we nice and, and understanding? Um, I fear sometimes that the impression that people have of, of churchgoers, whether they've been hurt by the church or just um, you know, just rub shoulders the wrong way, is that we can be unkind or intolerant or just generally like haters, right, who, who lack an understanding of people. And... Man, that breaks my heart, right? That's so, so unfortunate. Because if we were to meet Jesus, we would know that he is the kindest man that ever walked on the face of this earth. The kindest. Um, Like if anyone actually had met Jesus, uh, they would know that they'd just be blown away by by his his kindness and sincerity and, and, and his love. They'd just be floored, right, with how, how generous he is. And, and so, man, I'd love to see, um, you know, even if people have those impressions, man, just to, for us to be breaking down walls in that way, just to be seen as, as those who, who are very kind. Um, and it doesn't mean necessarily abandoning truth, right? But we just speak the truth in love, and we emphasize the love of Jesus. The next one is, um, is the Holy Spirit. Um, for Paul... He wants to re- reiterate that his message goes forward by the Holy Spirit. He is not like doing this in his own strength. That is a theme in this letter. And Paul says, I'm not doing this in my own strength. He f- says things like, um, I boast in my weakness, right? Um, because he knows that his weakness only show off God's power all the more. And and so he is regularly referencing his dependence on the Holy Spirit and on God. And so for Paul, his ministry is spiritual. It's it's prayerful. It's dependent on the Holy Spirit moving in power. And, you know, we want to be the same way. We want to be the same way, absolutely. Uh, the next is genuine love. Um, it's so important to genuinely love others in, in ministry or in sharing the gospel. I re- remember one time a salesman came to my door and he was selling some sort of... Um, meat subscription, I don't know, it was like steaks and uh, different stuff like that that you just get sent to your your door. And I tried to tell him, no, I, I'm not interested in this stuff. Um, but you know how salesmen are, they can be kind of pushy. And he really wanted to show me uh, what was inside of his his box. And so he opened it up and showed me the, the steaks and the whatever was in there. And I'm like, okay, cool, but I'm I'm just got to tell you, man, like, I am not interested in this. And I finally just was like, I'm not interested. And once he hears that, he just gets really angry and he he just shoves the meat back in the thing and huffs on over to his truck and shoves the meat into his truck. And and he just just floors it out of there. And I'm like, man, I'm sorry. Um, But I just didn't want it. But you know, I'm, I'm not an expert. It just didn't seem like good salesmanship, right? Like, he did not care about me at all. Like, he was just pushing his, whatever he was selling, and that did not help his cause really at all. Um, people don't like to be sold to and, and to feel like they're just a means to an end. Um, they want to be genuinely cared for. And, and that's super important, to have genuine love um, for others. And there's, a, there's an old adage that I've heard that people won't care about what you know until they know that you care. And that's really important. If we just are just trying to speak truth without love, man, who's going to listen to that? Um, but if people are genuine friends and not means to an end, 
then yeah, people will listen to you. They'll care what you say at that point. Um, the next one, <clears throat> he talks about verse 7, by truthful speech. Um, again, he, he's not lying. His ministry was built on, on knowledge. He's not being uh, inconsistent with his messages. He's being truthful. Uh, the next one's the power of God, and we've already talked about this a little bit with the, with the Holy Spirit. The next one might confuse you a little bit. Uh, confused me at first when I was reading it. It says, the, with, with weapons of righteousness um, for the right hand and, and for the left. Now, what, what in the world, Paul? What are we talking about here? We got some battle axe or, or what, what do we have, bow and arrow? Um, no, not that. Um, Paul's talking about really spiritual um, weapons. And, you know, there's a big theme in this book that deals with spiritual warfare. We were, you might have seen earlier in chapter 4, Paul talks about how the God of this world has blinded the eyes of the unbelievers so they can't see the glory of Christ. And later in chapter 10, he's going to talk again, and he's going to use the word weapons again. He calls them weapons of our warfare. Uh, to, to, uh, and he says that they have divine power to destroy strongholds. And so what he's talking about here is, is elements of spiritual warfare. And if, if you want to hear more about this topic, obviously we're going to get there later uh, in the in this book, but you can reach out to me and, and what he might be talking about here in destroying strongholds. But um, the bigger picture is, again, that this is spiritual work. Uh, this is spiritual work that they're doing, done in the power of God, not with um, the best our minds and, and, man, and, and human strength has to offer. And the last thing he says is, is through honor and dishonor, through slander and praise. Um, every season, right? Unchanging. Whether Paul is being honored, his message is the same. Whether he's being dishonored, his message is the same. Whether people are saying good things about him, he's still glorifying Jesus. Whether people are slandering him, he's still giving the glory to Jesus. No matter what the season is, um, that's, that's how he's living. Um, and so putting all of this together, this, this, this second list, it's the manner of ministry that Paul's uh, talking about. And he's saying that, man, it's just as critical as the message itself. Um, the attitude is just as important as the announcement that a messenger might give. And so we should be people who are full of love, full of understanding, and reliant upon God, reliant upon his Holy Spirit to uh, move in, in this world. Not relying on our own best ideas or human wisdom or our own uh, you know, clever speech or, or witty defenses, anything like that. We're just prayerfully dependent upon God and let him do the work. Um, so what have we seen thus far? Paul is, uh, in his ministry, he is working together with Jesus uh, by embodying the right sense of urgency and drive and purpose and also by living out the right manner of life within the context of of that ministry. Okay? And then let's get to the third and, and last list here. The third and, and last list has seven uh, contradictory ideas. Okay? And, and these ideas, they reveal a spiritual reality that's juxtaposed against maybe what you could see on the outside, the outward appearance. So you could call this list the appearances can be deceiving list. And so what's happening is this, is that people are looking at the life of Paul and looking at what's going on on the outside and saying one thing about his life. And Paul's saying, honestly, on the inside, on the spiritual side, it's the exact opposite. It's the exact opposite. Um, so let's read this section. It says, um, verse, the end of verse 8 now, We are treated as impostors, and yet are true. Right? He's, he's saying, man, people, people might treat us as like, man, we don't even know you, or you're like, um, you know, standing up for something phony. Um, but that's like the complete opposite of what Paul is. Like, Paul knows that he's known by God and that, um, yeah, that he's, it's his manner of, of, of doing ministry. It's true. Um, he says, as unknown, yet well known, right? People claim that, you know, we don't even know you, man, but he's saying, no, I'm, I'm well known 
by God. So even if I'm treated in this one way, I am well known by God. He says, as dying, and behold, we live. People look at our lives and the sufferings and beatings that we go through and say, these people are practically dead. But no, we are so spiritual alive, you don't even know. Um, He says, as punished, yet not killed. As sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. Man, they are full of joy. It might look like on the outside that um, that they have all these struggles, but inwardly there's deep joy there. Uh, as poor, yet making many rich. Um, he makes many rich in spirit because now they know God. Remember, the most valuable thing in the world is that you might be reconciled to and, and know God. He says, as having nothing, yet possessing everything. He says, we have it all. And so, in this uh, list, we just find these these interesting paradoxes. Now, I've been reading um, this book called uh, The Valley of Vision. I, I have it right here, actually. And it's um, edited by a guy named Arthur Bennett. And in this, it's called a, The Valley of Vision, a collection of Puritan prayers and devotions. And um, in this book, he's... he's, he's um, con- composed a bunch of different um, prayers from, from all sorts of Puritans. Um, so David Brainerd is, is in here, and you might recognize Charles Spurgeon, um, or the name um, uh, John Bunyan, and so and among many others. And so this is um, a, a really neat book to just kind of use devotionally. And Arthur Bennett, after studying all these things and compiling this, this book, he wrote only one of the, the prayers that are in the book, and it's the, the first one, and it's, it's called The Valley of Vision. And I just want to, to read the first part of that for you. And it says, um, Lord, high and holy, meek and lowly, thou hast brought me to the valley of vision, where I live in the depths, but see thee in the heights, hemmed in by mountains of sin, I behold thy glory. Let me learn by paradox that the way down is the way up, that to be low is to be high, that the broken heart is the healed heart, that the contrite spirit is the rejoicing spirit, that the repenting soul is the victorious soul, that to have nothing is to possess all, that to bear the cross is to wear the crown, that to give is to receive, that the valley is the place of vision. And what Arthur Bennett has picked up on here is is some of those paradoxes of spirituality that Paul's talking about, Um, that we can't experience um, the joys of forgiveness until we go through the the sorrows of of being contrite and remorseful over sin. And, and, And so what he's kind of picked up on is exactly what, what Paul's talking about, too. That people look at Paul's life and they say, man, this guy, he's basically a walking dead man. Um, he keeps getting beaten. He's thrown um, in prison repeatedly. Um, like, And they just kind of cast shame on that um, and, and on all his suffering. But Paul says, no, it's, it's the exact opposite. We live. Like, we are so spiritually alive. It's, it's unbelievable. And so people, they, they look at Paul and they see this man of sorrow. And in some ways, that's true, right? Jesus also was a, a man of sorrows because he loved and he cared for a broken world so, so much. Um, when Jesus saw Jerusalem, he says, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I've longed to gather you under my wings, right? Like, like, a, like a hen with her chicks. Um, and his heart is like broken for, for Jerusalem because he sees just the brokenness and, and he's just moved to mourn for them. And, and, and Paul, Paul's similar, right? Um, and so Jesus, he, he definitely is like the best example of the man of sorrows, right? Um, but he also is the man who went to the cross for the joy set before him. Um, and so, um, Paul's, Paul's in a similar vein. If we look back, remember back to chapter four, you can, can read down that list and how he talks about, um, being empty, but yet so, so full and, and all these ideas. And so 
you know, they, they, people might look at Paul and say, look, this guy, he possesses nothing. He's, he's got no stuff, no money. He's basically homeless. Um, but Paul says, I, I possess everything. Um, he says in verse 10, um, you know, some of the most joyful people I've met in, in my life are those who actually didn't have very much. Um, I, when I was a teenager, I remember going on a, a mission trip to Zambia and we would go, you know, way out into to the bush and meet some, um, some people who are believers and they were the most joyful people I've met in my life. Um, they had nothing. They had, they really just had nothing. Um, but they had an inner joy that was just suggestive that they had something that was far more valuable, far more beautiful. They were grateful for everything they had in life rather than, than clamoring for more maybe, but they knew God. Um, and so that, you know, that joy was just so pronounced. And for the Christian, you know, we already possess the greatest thing in this world, a reconciled relationship with God himself. That is incredible. That is amazing. I remember that, that hymn, Give Me Jesus. You can have all this world but give me Jesus. And why is that? Because he's the greatest thing that we can have. Uh, he is the greatest treasure that, that we could ever have. And so that's, that's kind of the upside down nature of Paul's ministry. That's kind of the upside down nature of, of Christian life. That's the paradox. Um, Paul had that. Jesus had that. And, and while we don't need to experience or pers- especially pursue the sufferings that, that Paul went through specifically, I think our lives should, should also have kind of that sense of, man, that's crazy, right? Um, when people, well, such that people are asking, um, for example, how can you seem so peaceful while going through so much? Or, or asking, you know, why aren't you worried about promotions and, and, and advancing and, and, and the next thing like I am? Or, or why would you choose to, to give so much of, of your money or of your time to, to this thing? Like, that just makes no sense to me. Um, the Christian life should look a little bit like that because we're not living for today, right? That's not the main goal. The main goal is to live for eternity and to, and to live with eternity in mind. And, and I, I really, I do praise God for you, Mosaic, because um, I see that radical love and I see that um, sense of, sacrifice and passion for the lost in you. Uh, I see a little bit of that, that crazy side, um, that peace in the midst of trial, uh, that faith that, that gets you through a troubling time. Um, and, I, and I just want to keep fanning that into flame uh, because it's beautiful to keep encouraging you um, that the way that I feel like I've been blessed by by your faith is also going to be a blessing to our community uh, and the community will be amazed by that as well. Um, so what have we seen in, in these three lists? Um, well, we've seen that working together with Jesus means living with a sense of urgency, a sense of drive and passion and, and because, man, the message is that important. It's worth giving our, our lives for. Secondly, we've seen that working together with Jesus means that we embody the love of and the characteristics of Jesus as well. And, and thirdly, we've just seen that working together with Jesus means that sometimes we live this um, life that seems crazy on the outside. Uh, it's a little bit upside down. Um, but there's spiritual joy and fruit in the midst of, of, of what would seem like a paradox to others. So, um, you know, in, in one aspect, we might look like Jesus, like men and, and women of, of sorrow, and yet... We have a deep, deep joy that's, that's unquenchable that, that flows out from us because we know our God. Okay, And so that's, that's the way it was for Paul. Um, that's the way his life functioned. That's the way his ministry functioned. And that's what he's also inviting the Corinthians into here as well. And it's, it's what I want us to be invited into as well. Um, because, you know, the secret of this, this whole story you know, life of ministry, this whole style of being on mission and, and not 
you know, receiving grace in vain, but being an ambassador for Jesus is that it's a life of joy. It's a life of joy. You know, it'd be easy to misinterpret all that Paul's putting out here as like this arduous list of commands. Like, John, why did you just give us like 47 things to think about, <laughs> right? Um, you know, and, and think, man, we could never live up to all of that. Um, but that's not really the point. The point is that um, this is a life of, of joy that Jesus calls us to, that Paul's trying to invite the Corinthians into. Um, and if we can't see that, um, then working together with Jesus, you know, won't seem that attractive to us. But if we realize that Jesus is inviting us into this life that's really life, um, that's altogether joyous, then, man, we would be attracted to that. And that's exactly what Jesus does. He says in uh, John 10, 10, he says, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Right? He's speaking in contrast to the thief who comes to kill and destroy. He says, no, I come that they might have life and have it abundantly. He says elsewhere in Matthew 11, verse 28 to 30, he says this, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and, and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Man, I love the invitation in those, in those verses. How does that interact, though, with what Paul's saying here? Well, I think it makes sense, especially when we look at what Paul's command is at the end. Um, because he isn't just commanding them to do all these things. He's actually just laying this out as an example. Remember, he's, he's defending his ministry, um, trying to commend himself so that no one has a, a problem in coming to Jesus on account of him. Um, but if it's not laid out as a command, I do think it, it, it's laid out as, you know, as an example for something for us to, to look to and, and, and to try and mimic. And one thing we need to remember is that throughout this letter, Paul does have a, a bit of worry for the Corinthians. He is a little bit uh, worried about them. And um, if you remember verse 1, he's fearful that they might receive the grace of God in vain. In other words, that they might believe in Jesus, but not really look to Jesus to, to live out their role as, as ambassadors in this ministry of reconciliation. And so, um, the only command in this text, other than when Paul says, uh, like, behold here and there, the only command in this whole section is coming here at the end. So let's read it. Verse 11. We've spoken freely to you, Corinthians. Our heart is wide open. You're not restricted by us, but you're restricted in your own affections. In return, I speak to you as children, widen your hearts also. And so Paul says that as far as his words are concerned, he's been wide open. As far as his heart's concerned, he's been wide open with them. His message is clear. He's not holding anything back. He's not hiding anything. He's an open book in his word, in his heart. Uh, we often think of heart in our culture as basically just our emotions, our emotional life. That's not um, exactly what Paul's probably talking about here. Um, when the Bible talks about heart, it talks about something a little bit more comprehensive than just our emotions, but um, something that includes our, our thoughts, our will, our aim in this life. And so he says, in other words, his whole life is opened up to them, right? Um, and that makes sense, given everything he's just described. But he gives them this interesting criticism. He says, you're not wide open. That He tells them that they are not wide open. He says that they're restricted or, or constrained in some way. It seems that they're not able to live out this idea of, of working together with Jesus from, from verse 1. And, and Because something is constraining them. Something's holding them back. And he says, it's not me. It's not Paul constraining. He says, you're not restricted by us. But you're restricted in your own affections. Um, the word affections here is literally talking about um, your guts. It's the word um, splanknon. And I only bring that up 
because if you've been around Mosaic for a few years, you may remember a few years back, or periodically, Shannon loving this word, um, spikenitsamai, which is to have this deep, uh, gut-wrenching compassion for. And um, so in that culture, when they talked about their their guts, that was their emotional life, that was their loves, their passions, kind of like the way we talk about our hearts, to be honest. Um, so we talk about our guts, like that's like our, our instinct or our indigestion or something for them, their guts were the, were their affections, um, and, and their loves, uh, the things that they're passionate about. And so Paul's saying, it's your affections, it's your loves, your longings, uh, your passions that are keeping you from working together with Jesus. And so here's kind of the, the powerful idea I think for us this morning is that, you know, we're not infinite people. We don't have like inexhaustible sources of um, capacities to love, right? Um, We don't have an unlimited capacity to have uh, affections for everything. Um, When we begin to love anything, it's naturally restrictive. Um, We're naturally sacrificing something else. That's actually a good definition, I think, for what love is, 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 is it inherently involves um, sacrifice. And so, um, whenever we choose to love something, it restricts us from, from other things. And Paul's saying that they have these affections, these loves, but it seems to be pulling them away from Jesus, um, away from this ministry he's encouraging them towards, and even away from Paul himself, who identifies as their, their spiritual father. Um, he says, I speak to you as children, and I interpret that as, as like my children. Open your hearts up. And that, that's, that's the command. Open your hearts up, Corinthians. He says, make them broad, make them wide. Let the king of glory come into your heart uh, and take up residence there. And so a question for us um, is, is what affections, what loves, what passions are driving you right now, and possibly what are what's dominating your life? Um, are they restricting you from Jesus? Are they restricting you from being able to join Him on in His reconciliation work that He's in, inviting us into? Um, that's happening here and now. Um, some of these loves and affections that we have, they might be fine things in of themselves, right? Um, good things. We don't need to, to get rid of them. Um, but it's always important to be able to analyze ourselves and our hearts and, and wonder if we have a case of, of kind of what St. Augustine called uh, disordered loves, he talks about. Um, he describes uh, St. Augustine virtue as being able to have all of your loves ordered in the right manner, um, which means God at the top and and every other love is ordered in such a way that um, that it's ordered in the right way. Like if we if we loved anything more than God, obviously that would be sin and idolatry. If we love um, something more than a person, that's also sin. We're putting something above of above people, and that and that's not right either. And so um, he talks about having his loves in the right uh, order, and that was a big thing for Augustine when he came to know God even originally, because he had all of these affections, all of these things that he loved that were keeping him um, from becoming a believer, because he was this gifted orator, right? He, he had this um, supremely high um, place in society in, in what he did. He was honored among the people, wealth, um, gaining power, and he used all that um, kind of exploitatively um, to, to pursue, you know, other other passions that he had that were, were even sinful. But then when he came to the Lord, man, he says that um, he describes what happens to him in his heart in, in such a unique way that I just want to be able to read it. Fair warning that he uses the word, well, at least the translator does, frivolities, <laughs> frivolous things. And so you'll, you'll hear about that. But in, in his um, book, the, the Confessions, he says this, How sweet... Did it suddenly seem to me to shrug off those sweet frivolities how, and how glad I was now to get rid of them, I who had been so loath to let them go. For it was you who cast them out from me, God. You are real and all-surpassing sweetness. You cast them out and entered yourself 
to take their place. You are lovelier than any pleasure. He says, My mind was free at last from the gnawing need to seek advancement and riches, to welter in filth and scratch my itching lust. Childlike, I chattered away to you, my glory, my wealth, my salvation, my Lord and my God. And so he was, he was restricted in his affections. He had all these things he was chasing after, these frivolities um, that he, he couldn't shake. But until God came into his heart and, and, and took up that place of primary affection, that he couldn't push those things aside. And then when that happened, he did and he could. Um, and so the main question we need to ask ourselves this morning is, is what, what affections in our life maybe do we need to get rid of just to come to know Jesus in the first place? Or even if you do know Jesus, how might your affections be a little bit out of whack? How might they be a little bit out of order? Um, is there any way in which our affections are restricting us um, in our walk with God? Um, what loves are abiding in our heart, um, keeping us from the life that, that's truly life, um, keeping us from this abundant life with Jesus? You know, all of life is, is a life of, of repentance, and so it's a joy to be able to, to come to Jesus again and, and ask for his help and helping us repent of things and, and to reorder our life, reorder our loves in such a way that, that he's first of all and, and everything is in its place. And so we want to, you know, again and again be able to do that um, and to, uh, yeah, embody this command that Paul's giving them to make our hearts large that the king of glory might come in and take up the primary place and, and for us to see all those other things kind of shake out. Um, so as I reflect on this, this powerful idea of our affections restricting us or infection, or our affections releasing us to this uh, life, um, I know that there's work to be done in my heart, right? Um, some affections can need to be, uh, need to be reordered. Um, and so we all have the opportunity to, just to do that. And we're going to have communion in a minute. It'll be an opportunity for us to, to repent and, and, to, and to do that. Um, so that we might be able to work together with Jesus with his urgency, work together with him in the manner that he uh, laid out for us, and work together with him in a way that might even seem a little bit crazy to the outside world. So let's pray. Uh, Jesus, thank you uh, so much for your word, for the truth, and for the power that it has for us. We are so grateful for you. I ask that you would take up the primary place in our hearts, that we might love you most of all, and just to experience the joy of knowing you in this life. Help us to be encouragers towards one another, towards that end. We pray this in your name. Amen.